G'day there, guys and girls, and welcome to the latest episode of The Finnovator. I really hope you're enjoying the podcast uh, so far. Uh, if you are, you can do me a really, really big favor. Uh, reviews of podcasts are really important in uh, podcast land. So if you have a minute just to hit the review button on the Apple Podcast Store, and if you haven't got Apple, Spotify will do, Podbean, and just leave a review, five-star preferably, but uh, give people a bit of a sense. Make some comments about what you like about the podcast, what you'd like to see more of, and, and what you get from it. You'd really be helping me out and, uh, I guess, helping me share some of the stories uh, that you've been hearing over these last few uh, months or weeks, you should say. So, uh, without a moment's delay, let me, let me tell you a bit about uh, my guest today. Uh, Dean Holmes and I first met oh, about four years ago when we ran a webinar together all about his decision to move to London and continue to run his advice practice. Now, I have to understand, this was a long time before we all found ourselves in lockdown and uh, kind of forced to get familiar with Zoom and all it can do. Uh, and it's interesting that a lot of what he spoke about in that podcast, about getting closer engagement, getting to know clients better, we've sort of come to see in recent weeks. Um, it's We then, since then, did a bit of work together. And today's Finnovator is all about a little project that he uh, came and told me about uh, about three years ago. We worked on it for a period of time. Uh, and it was called The Wealth Network. It is called The Wealth Network. Now, if you've heard the, na the names of Fox and Hare, or maybe even Pebbit Wealth, you may have a bit of a sense of what The Wealth Network has already been involved in and responsible for. Uh, you may not have even known that Wealth Network was kind of the Intel inside proposition in behind growing and building those businesses. And that's what makes this so amazing. For those of you who may have uh, you know, brought young advisors through your business or maybe even invested and seeded another business, you know there are some, some real pitfalls that you can make when you do that. You know, uh, building someone who gets really, really good at what they does and leaves, alternatively seeding a business and then eventually that, that tip comes where um, they kind of resent having to buy out uh, so much money, something that they've you know, had a large part in building. Well, what makes the Wealth Network so innovative and amazing is how Dean solved these problems. And, and the way he was going to do it was exactly the same concept and idea that he came uh, and we chatted about all those years ago. This was really, really good. Firstly, because uh, listening to Dean, I could do it all day long. He's incredibly entertaining, incredibly insightful, and he really, really understands uh, his take on, on what advice is all about and why it matters. But uh, to hear the whole story, I think there are lessons to be learned from anybody who is you know, innovating, who wants to bring through and build superstars, who wants to understand and leverage their systems. In particular, what I love is when Dean talks about the Enter EOS, Entrepreneur Operating System. And uh, as anyone's ever worked with will know, I'm really big on having structure and systems and process. I think it's something that you know everybody should start working on. Uh, if not, they're already working on it, then start doing it uh, as soon as possible. The old Chinese proverb, the best uh, time to pr uh, plant a tree is 20 years ago. The second best time is now. I think it works for systems. Uh, I hope you enjoy this one. Uh, if you want to know more about um, Dean, just type Wealth Network uh, into Google and it'll take you straight to the site. And you can find more about the proposition because I think we're going to be hearing a lot more about this business model and potentially other innovative ways of uh, creating new way of advice businesses, something which, as you know, if we've done some work together, if you've been following the blog for a while, I'm really passionate about. Anyway, without a moment's further delay, I hope you enjoy The Practice Factory with Dean Holmes. Dean and I, I can't remember when we first met. I have a feeling it was at an FPA event. Uh, and Dean's one of those people who you just kind of, he's very warm, he's very friendly, he's a great conversationalist, and we kind of hit it off and started this conversation. Uh, the first time we ever sort of did something together, he had moved to London, 
uh, and had made the decision to run his practice from London. Uh, and I thought that given it was such a great uh, case study to explore, and especially given recently, you know, we're talking, I think, four years ago when the idea of servicing clients completely remotely was probably a little more unusual. And it was a great, great interview. It's still on the masterclass section of the member site. And then I think shortly afterwards, I can't remember, it was three or four years ago, Dean and I sat down and he told me about this idea he had, which is essentially he'd built a, a really good business in absolute, spent a lot of money invested in systems, processes, um, really got clear on how he wanted to engage clients. And he, he wanted to expand that, leverage that into being able to invest in other businesses. But he was also very, very aware that there were pitfalls to this. You know, I talked about it in the blog I put out there. You can sometimes essentially create your own competitors. Uh, you know, if sometimes you get to a situation where you seed other businesses, but there comes a time when, when sometimes the balance or the perceived balance flips. And when he talked about how he was going to do it, I just looked at him and that is a brilliant idea. It's essentially a startup incubator, a textile for advice firms. Uh, and I had the opportunity to work with him on it for a period of time. Uh, but what's happened since then and the work he's done is incredible. Uh, you will probably have heard of Pivot Wealth. You'll probably have heard of Fox and Hare. Well, both of these, without you maybe knowing it, are products of the Wealth Network Practice Factory, if you want to call it. Uh, and the way that they've approached it by not wanting to be front and center is, is, is really quite impressive. So today I want to dive into the history, the story, how he went about it, the mistakes he made. And I think there's a lot of opportunity here to leverage this into your own business if you want to get more efficient, if you want to sort of, uh, I guess, create other people in your business who can take the battle if you want to understand how they marketed it, how they approached it, all that sort of stuff. It's going to be a good one. So without any further delay, Dean, shall we get, shall we get this bird on the road? I don't know. The, that's, not a, that's not even a saying, is it? Get a bird on the road. Yeah, I'm just butchering metaphors, I think. Mate, how are you? Hi, guys. Good morning. Very well, thank you. Dean and I were chatting about the fact that uh, he's doing the Steve Jobs thing. He's just moved in the house, and he's, as you can see, that lamp in the background, I believe, is one of the few pieces of furniture you currently own. Is that correct? We have a, we have a minimalist uh, lifestyle in, in our new house. So, as, as you said, we moved to London, and so when we went to London, we had no furniture. We, we took furniture with us, but London is completely different to Sydney in that every house is furnished. Yes. So you yeah. went through stuff and then didn't need it, so sold it either here or there. And then when we came back, um, we, we literally Googled furnished places because we thought it was a good idea. And then, um, lo and behold, we found a furnished place to live in for the next three years. And so yeah. for the last, like, seven years, um, we haven't owned, owned any furniture. Uh, and so we bought a house, and so now we're in the we're in the uh, furniture market. Um, Love it. We're trying to be minimalist, which so the room and the echo is achieving both of those. Uh, mate, I I wish that I could go the minimalist route. Unfortunately, I married a uh, someone who doesn't like the minimalist. He likes the kind of everything everywhere. So, but um, if it's, look, if I actually went out the weekend before last and accidentally bought three Chesterfields, I intended to buy one, so I've now got three. So if you if you're uh, looking for a place to store, you can store a chest. I've got one. I've got one handy. But anyway, dude, um, thank you so much for your time today, and I'm super keen to dive into the story because it's just a, it's a great, it's a great path. But I guess it's like anything. There's the, there's the, the, the what it looks like from the outside, and 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 what it looks like from the inside. And I'd love to dive into a bit of that. Yeah, of course. I'm sure most people on here will will know a bit about you, but let's just assume that some people don't. Can you tell them a bit about sort of? Uh, who you are, who you work with, what the network, net Wealth Network is all about, just yeah. a high-level overview. Yeah, yeah, of course. So um, 
two things. I wear, I wear two hats at the moment, but my my history and my first hat that I that I have been wearing is that I'm a financial advisor. I've been a financial advisor for about 14 years. Started a practice with my business partner Paul Barrett about uh, 12 years ago. Uh, that's now called Absolute Wealth Advisors. Was self licensed, and uh, we've been running that business for, for as I said, 12 years. Um, the business that I'm focused on now and the other hat that I wear and the hat that I'll be just wearing um, in a few months' time is that I'm I'm the founder and CEO leader of what we call the Wealth Network. And so this is our uh, AFSL uh, first and foremost. Okay. Uh, more than, it's much, much more than that in terms of what we want to deliver to people that are joining us. Um, our message in relation to the Wealth Network now is that my focus is to lead the entrepreneurial revolution in financial advice. I think yep. it's now time that the corporates are stepping away from financial advice, call them the big four and or the big five or six. And with the technology revolution that's come in the last few years, it's absolutely easy to start, run and manage your own practice. And we don't necessarily need the Commonwealth Bank resources to be able to deliver advice to clients. And so... Yep. Our, our objective in the Wealth Network is to be that back-end engine to help start, run, and manage financial planning firms. Love it. Um, so our, our target of people that we love to talk to is those people that want to have their own practice, so they want to be the entrepreneur in, in, the, in that context of going, I want to start my own business, but they don't want to do it all alone. And so we have a certain skill set in helping advisors and providing them with tools, resources, experience, etc., to let them be the front end of their business yep. and we help them in the back end of their business as well. Gotcha. Love it. Can we go back to the very beginning? Yeah, how far back? How did you get into advice? I mean, like, how did you get started? Was it something you always wanted to do? No, uh, it, working in finance was always something that I wanted to do. So... Yeah. The story, the, the real story that I tell of when I got exposed to, to finance and numbers is that my old man is a, ran a bricklaying company for his whole life. Yep. Uh, at his peak, he had 50 employees. And back then, you had to do payroll physically, not electronically. So my memories of learning about small business was sitting around the floor every Thursday night counting money and putting it into pay packets, <laughs> physically rolling the hundreds, fifties, twenties, tens and putting them in envelopes. You're sure he was a bricklayer? Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, yeah, you yeah. can pay cash. This is the thing. Well, you can still pay cash now, but that's a different story. But yeah. when I was a kid, there was there was no electronic deposits in bank accounts. And so my journey of helping my parents in the business was that mm. we did the payroll Thursdays. Dad took the little bag to work on Fridays and gave them all the money. The funny story is most of them had spent it by Sunday, <laughs> which is common, and he was lending them money on, on Monday. Um, but that's my, first, that's my first foray into just small business and finance in general. Um, and then I had the message that I wish that um, my parents got financial advice like I give today, that, you know, okay. just like everything, small business owners, they're running so many different things. Um, and they don't always get the right advice. And so my passion that started in Absolute Wealth Advisors is we love helping small business owners manage their financial planning side of what they do. But we, we always 
fall into talking to them a little bit about their business as well because that is their wealth creation strategy. Everyone, you know, every small business owner and people on here as well is like, oh, my business is my super. That's a really common thing for for the older clients. And so that was where I got started Uh, and that's, uh, I worked at Commonwealth Bank for it, well, Comsec for a couple of years. Uh, that's where I met Elizabeth Kong, who's on the call today. So um, that was that was that's when that started. Um, and then I got into advice relatively quickly after that. I worked with um, Andrew Rocks for like um, at announcer for a little bit, nine months. Uh, cold calling wasn't for me, so I got out of that one. Um, relatively quickly, but that was a it was a successful business model. Cold calling just didn't work in my world. Um, yeah. And then met Paul, and I've been self employed for much much longer than than anything else. Love it. Um, can we talk about Paul and you? Because you, you you've got this really strong partnership, and you talk about him in very um, fond terms. How did you guys? Make- he, unfortunately, he's not watching today, but I'll send him this past part of the. Yeah, okay, let's get real. Uh, you've often talked about in really terrible times in ways you know when he's not no seriously how did you have me and because uh, it obviously seems to work between you yeah look it's definitely any any business partnership takes a lot of time and effort he hired me into the role that we started so we started as as like manager and, and employee so that was an interesting dynamic but when we went to the thing that he did first and foremost when we went to start our practice together is he drew the line in the sand and said that we're 50-50. And so that's something that Paul did initially, and there's a big age gap between us of about 12 years. He had most of the clients. I had no clients when we started our business. And so the first thing that he did was make it fair. And then the second thing we did is from that point on is that we did have different skill sets that we brought to the business. So... We both had a we both had our core skill set of financial planning, but then we had different skill sets in relation to running the business of a financial planning business. Yep. And my passion now is obviously focused on running the business of a financial planning business, and that is completely a different skill set to being a great financial advisor. Which is some of the things that we take into the wealth network today is that yep. you can be a great advisor, you can then own your own business, but you don't have to. Alt- I teach all of the other skill sets in relation to running a business. Um, so yeah, look, Paul and I, Paul and I have that different skill sets, which means that we have a good business relationship together, and we we are good friends as well at the same at the same time, and we've built that friendship over uh, the last twelve years. It's interesting because part, partnership dispute, I think, is one of the most common uh, reasons that that uh, businesses break up, and it's. Unfortunately- <laughs> It's such a massive destroyer of all sort of um, yeah, like wealth that can be created. It's like divorce, really. Yeah, exactly. Um, what what I mean, you you're probably one. I mean, I would I would say there's more partnerships that break up and cause all sorts of Im- negative impact than stay together. What have you learned about what makes what makes it work and what you should and shouldn't do compared to what other people have maybe shared? Yeah, look, we have we now have um, we use a coaching system or a business management system in our business and we've been using it for the last probably the last four years on and off it's it comes from the rockefeller habits through that if you've read about the Vern harnish work and now it's called it's called the entrepreneurs operating system or eos 
Yeah. Um, it comes from the it comes from the US, but it's here as well. And the core thing about what that has allowed us to do is we have a really solid operating rhythm within our company, and we have quarterly meetings. And there's one of the rules. Um, it is five rules. I won't remember them all in terms of running this quarterly meeting. But the essence of what it is, it's, it's actually open and honest communication and being uncomfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, no, being comfortable with being uncomfortable. And so those two messages is actually around making sure that whatever it is, is that you actually have the, the, the framework to mm. talk about it, the time to talk about it, which is in these quarterly meetings. Yeah. And the objective is that you're solving that. And at different times, we've had these meetings facilitated by a, by, a, by a coach that runs this particular program. And he is also has a certain skill set of, of being comfortable in a really uncomfortable situation when Paul and I have disagreed on something. Um, so it's the communication, but, but having a framework around that communication and a time to have it on a frequent basis. I really like that because I made a decision as a coach a while ago that I wanted to be comfortable playing in the awkward, which is sort of my way of talking about it. But I've, I, when, I, when I deal with advisors and we talk about that first appointment situation, often in order to get people to act, you've got to create cognitive dissonance. You've got to make them realize that they should be, they should be uncomfortable about the things they want from life and what they're, the fact that they're not actually doing anything. And I think the natural inclination of a, a lot of advisors can be to try and when they see that awkwardness and that uncomfortable to try and fix it. Yeah, as an advisor especially and, and, and in any situation, you just got to sit there and, you, and I have this thing that you've got to pretend that you're watching yourself um, from afar, like there's a little Dean up here watching Dean in this situation because it just, that little distance that you create in your mind slows you down and then yeah. you say things at the wrong time. Um, I should use this all this advice in all of life. You're you're quite a visual person, I'm guessing. Visual, yeah, yeah. I suppose so. Yeah, I draw. I draw. I now have an Apple Pen like you, Stuart, <laughs> um, and I draw. I draw pictures much more. Um, I, and it's been a learning. Obviously, when we've moved into this working from home environment, I missed my whiteboards uh, from the office, and so I am visual in that. I am visual in that context. Love it. You know what? We could talk about Absolute because, there's a, I mean, there's a lot to talk about there. We could talk about your market. We could talk about, you know, the way that you appro approached, you know, the, the starting point with advice. We could talk about the proposition. But I, I think this is about the Wealth Network. So what I'm, keen to, what I'm keen to move on and talk about next, at some point you woke up in the morning and either over a period of time you had this idea that I would like to take what we built and somehow leverage it. Mm. Talk to me about the kind of genesis of that idea, where it came from, how it developed. Was it a sudden thing? You know, give me the give me the story. Yeah, the yeah. The US yeah so the so the the story involved alcohol. Part of the story <laughs> involved alcohol is where all good ideas, all ideas come from. Yeah. Um, but first and foremost, how I I got involved in mentoring, and I I this started before I went to London, and so I was I was this is probably seven, eight, maybe seven, six, seven years ago, is that I decided through some network that I would <laughs> participate in mentoring with the AFA. And so 
The interesting story that happened there is that you've got all these young advisors wanting to be mentored and then it was me who at the time was, say, early 30s and then there was five other people that are willing to mentor and they're all 60 plus. Now, yes, they have a lot of experience but the younger advisors that were in that room at the time not all of them uh, could relate to the to the journey of a of a sixty year old advisor, especially yeah. in, you know in the current world of what's changed. So um, I was doing I was doing mentoring through the AFA program, and that's where I met Ben Nash as our sort of patent, you know first uh, journey into the into the wealth network, and it evolved really from a coaching or mentoring perspective that I was working with Ben for almost two years just yeah. in, in the context of that he's a, he was a great advisor and I was mentoring him in the context of he was wanting to buy into his existing business that he worked for and I was trying to help him facilitate that. Okay. Um, and any advisor on the call, the history that we broadly have in terms of advisors trying to buy into existing practices is that I it kind of takes longer than what the advisor thinks. The price changes lots and the term and conditions change. And so it creates a frustration between the advisor and the older advisor or the business owner because the, the, it just keeps getting moved along. Yeah. So, and this was, this was what happening broadly was happening with Ben as well is that he just wasn't getting where he wanted to be because he wasn't getting able to getting ownership and then he was building something that he had to buy later on. Um, and so that kind of creates a little bit of frustration as well. And so coming back to the alcohol, we were drinking one night and having having a whiskey. I still remember where we were, uh, the whiskey bar in the, in the city. Um, and I just said, look, let's just do it ourselves. Okay. And, and really it came, it came flippantly. As I said, I'll lend you a few dollars. Let's get started. Just quit your job and we'll start. Uh, love it. All right. At some point, you made a decision you, you were going to work together. And I guess going from mentoring to investing in a business, that's a, that's a relatively big leap, right? Not with whiskey. <laughs> that's so the, the, from our perspective, it was a really comfortable thing. And the reason why it was comfortable is that we already knew Ben. Yeah. So, I already I'd known him for two years, and so you know our core in terms of values was the same as Ben's, and so that that means that when you when you trust and know people, you know at that core, we're able to work out whether they um, are a good business partner. So from my perspective, because I'd worked with Ben for two years, absolutely, yep. he's a great guy. Um, no, like and trust him, and so it was very easy for me to go. Well, let's go and do this. Um, and the other foot, the other thing in terms of the risk is that we knew we know financial planning very well, and so yep. for us the risk was actually low because yes, we were we were creating a competitor in one context, but we knew that if it didn't work out, that the, the what we had created in that business could have fallen into our business as well. So um, it was it was we saw it as a low risk. So can I, there's a, there's a couple of things about the proposition, which when you explain it to me, I, I really just lit up and I went, that's brilliant. And I want to talk about them, if you don't mind. And maybe you can correct me. Maybe I've got it wrong, but I feel like my memory is good enough. There were two main things which I think uh, really hit home. 
the first one was that it was you were going to do the uh, it's back end support, and what I mean by that is you know you sometimes you see uh, propositions like that where they go in and they invest in the business, but it's their brand, right? If you're going to become a you know uh, ABC financial planning advisor and you grow your business, and what you have a situation I've worked with a couple of people who are in this situation where they work really hard for a period of time, but at the end of it, it's not their business, it's not their brand, and and they're essentially starting going back to starting from not quite from square one but they're starting from a position and they've got to build a whole brand they haven't been through that experience so um they've essentially invested much of time building something but it's not their own business the second thing which really appealed to me i loved it was you had built in uh what would we call it built in expiry date um i've seen in the past and been involved in situations where a big business invests in somebody who's who's relatively fresh and then as it goes at the beginning, it's like, this is great. I, you know, I'm help, someone's helping me get off the ground. But then there comes that point where suddenly you realize that they're starting to take the lead. They're starting to grow the business. And, mm-hmm. and the support that's needed may start to fade a bit. And suddenly they've got a new problem, which is they've got to buy. And they, they're increasingly going to want to buy out the investor. But the more they grow the business, the more expensive it gets, the harder it gets. And suddenly you get a position where there's, there's completely conflicting desires and objectives. And that's usually where I've sat in meetings and had to untangle this before it's mm. not nice you didn't do either of those things do you want to talk to this a little bit yeah so the so the back-end support is really important because yeah. we, what we see in the future of financial advice is that where we have the ability and, and advisors are doing this is that they're able to have a hyper targeted hyper personalized client set and so I have this one that if you want to target left-handed vets as your core client base, you can now do that and you yep. can find them and talk to them. So the whole the hyper, hyper-targeted client set that you therefore track means that you need to brand it yourself and you need to brand that you only look after left-handed vets such that that's where it comes from. And so... Um, the ability to scale your operations is only necessary in the background. So clients, you know, we're all advisors on the call. So we understand how uh, clients will trust us and they trust the person more than the brand initially in that you sit in front of a client, they're having a personal conversation, they know who you are. And so the, the advisor is therefore, you know, they've got that niche, as you say, but then they're able to brand it and market it and talk to the community about how they want to look after left-handed vets. The back-end system, clients don't see. So the fact mm-hmm. that the technology might be all aligned between five businesses, this they have the same back office support, they have the same power planning team that's doing all of the advice. This is all the back-end staff, like you said, Stuart, the Intel in inside or the or the feet of the duck under the water it's all the stuff that no one really sees it's important from a business perspective but clients don't care and so what we what we do is we help the businesses in the background and they are the front office they create the branding the website the persona that they want in in the front end and then the back end is where where we do so let's talk the first bit's really uh, the internal side um, what, did you ever think about calling it duck feet no, <laughs> I, I like it. I'm going to see if I, I'm going to see if the domain's available. <laughs> Duck feet. Anyway, um, talk to me about them leading. There was two things that came out. 
the firstly, to, to, in order for somebody to lead the marketing, you, you're looking for someone very specific because not everybody, not every advisor, not every young person is going to be able to jump in there and suddenly start marketing confidently. But the yeah. second thing is that insistence upon niche. Mm. Talk to me about those, those two things and why that so, matters. Yeah, look, I think in this, so to, get, to cut through in terms of the, the people that you want to serve, the niche is becoming more important because of the way in which people are now seeking and searching for services is that the content, if you think about when you Google something, Google's, got, Google's now telling me whether I'm going to enjoy a particular restaurant or cafe well yeah. before I arrive. And so consumers or clients are doing exactly the same thing is that they're seeking out the advisor that can help them based on their circumstances. Yeah. And so the left-handed vet that we'll talk about today is kind of the thing is that, hey, these vets are, are seeking out help from people that can uh, have the experience in how to help them. And whether it's an age, a stage, an occupation, there's actually more and more different type of niches when we when we talk about them. And so it's very, you're, you're, when you focus on that, you're, it's actually your audience is big in that there's more, more left-handed vets than you could possibly serve, but you're able to find them easier today than ever and ever than you've ever been able to do it. And yep. so that's a really important focus for, for us um, in, that, in that particular niche. Love um, it. So that, what was the second part, Stu? Second part is uh, how, do you, how did you make sure that you were going out and finding people who were going to be able to get on the front foot? We're going to be able to market themselves. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. There must be a thousand you know, wannabe business owners who fundamentally you just you talk to and you go, you, you're just not going to be able to get on the front foot with this. You're not going to be able to generate leads fast enough. Yeah, correct. And so that's, a, that's in part of our process of identifying people that we need to identify the advisors that are able to tell their story quite well. So, okay. and this is the, you know, if we think about the, 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 the businesses that we've started in the past, they're very, they're very um, not necessarily marketing focused, but story focused, that they're clear on who they want to serve and they're able to articulate that relatively well. And this is something that we're focusing on helping advisors going forward as well, is yep. that we, we help them to be able to market their business, to understand who their customers are. We've got a whole sales module that we, that we build for the practices, but still the, the, the partnership works when the advisor has some type of clarity on, on, the, on the niche and also some abilities to talk about that. You know, we can the, the technology to talk about it is in existence. If you want to Instagram your story, you yep. can very easily do that, but you've got to be able to tell your story. story. Yeah, I love it. Um, and there's some great resources out there. I mean, uh, Russell Brunson does, 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 has probably done a lot of work in here. I think uh, is it story, story selling is another really good resource around this. Yep. But yeah, and it's really good for your niche. You talk about how you've helped your a particular client, and you only want to serve those clients. Yeah. Guess what? They're they're attracted to you in that manner. If you hit someone's website and they talk about how they're a best-selling author in sixteen uh, sixteen countries <laughs> and they've been shaking up the financial service industry and worked with a thousand clients to increase their revenue by one point two billion dollars, you're not talking. You're not targeting an issue, I and mean, you're not telling a story. You're just big noting yourself. Yeah. Um. Let's talk about the built-in expiry date because this is this is this was 
something that really struck with me. It's almost like an acceptance before you start that it's going to end in divorce. Yeah, it's planned. It's it's planned divorce, um, but it doesn't end at the divorce. It's like planned planned exit is a better way of thinking about it. Is that we know that we create a significant amount of value in those businesses when we help them start, and but just like any startup, is it, it comes to a point where the business is a business now, and it's learned, it's built its systems and processes, it's running on its own, and. We, we say that part of our job is done at that point in time yeah. and we want the advisor at that point in time to have the ability to own 100% of what they've built Yes, or built with us. So that's all. And that makes the, the objective there is to make everyone comfortable that this is um, a, um, a commitment or a marriage, as we say, it's a five-year yeah. commitment to build this practice. But at the end of the five years, we we let you go and we still think that we have a licensee con part of what we do and so yeah. um, we would still we still assume but not but not demand that the the advice businesses might still be licensed by mm. us um, but but that even that is not a re, not a requirement in terms of what we're doing it's you know what imagine how well better off AMP would be if they could take this idea that there is going to be an end to this period and they could put that in place. They, they would be in a situation where they wouldn't be at war with the practices and potentially they could alleviate some of this risk they've got right now. But it's, it's, it's a smart move. And I guess it's one of those things where you look about it, you would rather have a situation where you get a chunk of something good rather than end up with a, you know, a, a bad feeling at the end of it and, and trying to go for more and more and more. It was, it was yeah. really And we, obviously we, um, leave value on the table but we transfer that value to the to the advisor so like if you exit the business and it ends you know the, there's the all the data of the guy who sold his apple shares because yeah. there were three founders right and you go yeah of course we're going to have that issue as well is that we're going to sell um part of the equity back to the advisors and they might go on to be have a, an amazing business but guess what if they go on to have an amazing business it's mostly due to that that advisor building that business so what's the we know the value of what we provide and we know the value we create in those building those businesses for the first five years um and then it's like let them fly it's like marco pierre white right we don't know we know marco pierre's a great chef but we know particularly he's a great chef because look at all the other chefs that have come out of his kitchen yeah yep um you know it's it's i totally agree can we chat about a little bit about the blueprint because I think this is key and there's certain things that you have in your business that you brought across and, and this is what the proposition is. Let's say I, I come to you one day, I knock on the door and I say, Dean, I want to start Love Financial. Yep. Oh, I've heard of that. It's a great name. Uh, or, by the way, I bought advicefirm.com. I can't believe it was available. Advicefirm. Advicefirm. How's that? It's, you know, the advice firm. Anyway, and you, I turn around and say, look, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm enthusiastic. I, I know a little bit. What are the things that you're going to bring to the table and pump into my business and, and, and I guess the things that you're going to help me with and the things that I'm going to do that are going to make me go from, uh, you know, fresh and wet behind the ears to, um, you know, industry known and a and million dollars revenue within, within five years? Yeah, absolutely. So the thing, so what you're bringing to me first and foremost is, that, is your, the fact that you're already a financial advisor. So that has to that in terms of what's going on is that you're an advisor already and you've got a few years experience. So the the concept of what 
I'm not going to teach you anything in relation to salary sacrifice, nor can I add value there, the rules are the rules. Yep. But what we, are, what we are teaching in terms of um, what we deliver to the, to the businesses is we're actually helping you start and run and manage that business. And so from our perspective, that, has, that starts from actually your asset ownership structure, how you structure the whole ownership, um, how we set up the, the name and branding, how we set up the websites, how we open the virtual doors as it is today so that you can bring on your first client. Okay. Okay. Um, and so what we're rolling into these businesses is a combination of everything that we've built kind of in absolute wealth advisors, but tweaked depending on who your target client is. So, you know, it's, it's much, much more than every, what every AFSL might go offer you in terms of a open APL and templates. We care very little about those things, although we might have them. Mm. It's actually the fact that you've got a cracking bookkeeper, so your numbers are taken account. We've got an ability for you to get paid in terms of charging clients. We've got all the um, systems in terms of how you develop an operating rhythm for your uh, business. So what are you doing on Mondays? What are you doing on Tuesdays? Um, the, the, uh, the next element of how are we marketing and talking to your potential customers, we build out a plan with you in, in relation to that. We have a whole, um, we run the entrepreneurial EOS system across each of these businesses. So I'm sitting in a weekly business meeting um, with the the business owner or the financial advisor, and we're talking about the issues that they're facing. Not, I've got to do salary sacrifice for a particular client, but we're tracking key metrics and key numbers so we know that the business is going to perform well. So every week I'm in the business talking to them, and then I, I, me and my team are solving some of the problems. And so this is the difference in terms of what we do is that because we're in the business with you and we're talking to you about the problems that that business is having, we understand it, but the big thing that we do is we help solve them. Right. Okay. And so from the, from the perspective of if from what I say is I go, oh, you should do that, you know, oh, you should talk to such and such or you should build this in, I don't, I delete the word should and I introduce, I go, oh, Bentley will do that for us and he'll deliver it to you or Carl will deliver that to you in your business. Okay, got it. So you almost like if you, if you take a coach who'll give you some of the IP, some of the templates and tools, et cetera, and then you've got a licensee who are there kind of saying you must fit in this model and there's nothing, you, you guys are kind of in the middle. Yeah, so we, we, we have, in our vision, we have two departments. We have a compliance department and then we have what we call coaching and execution. And I think the two words are really relevant in terms of what we do is obviously we're, we're, we're coaching in the same way, in a, in a way of we're coaching you to build an advice practice. Yep. Uh, the execution is the second part of that department is that we're helping you do it. Um, and, and, and that's the bit that I'm passionately focused on is that there's no sense me going, well, you should have this. Because I, my interest and my remuneration is all linked on creating a successful business, not suggesting. And so, therefore, we go and build it and we do things for you. And it's interesting. I mean, that's, that's 
one of the reasons why early on you've been very, very clear about, okay, we're going to do this one and then we're going to do this one rather than trying to do you know, 50 or 100 or 200 at the same time. Correct. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and no, I think that our ability to, in terms of doing them at the same time, would be no more than no more than four. And so, really, that's we we run a we run a you know accelerator masterclass process. We identify businesses that want to join us on a on a uh, essentially on a quarterly basis. But we only would have four as a maximum joining us at any one time, so that so that we can spend the time to coach and mentor them through the, through the program. Gotcha. So in a five-year period, you'd have one exiting, one coming in, four, three in the middle of the pipeline, and it would just cycle through like that. So you're basically bringing on one new project every year and a half. Oh, no, 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 four at a time. We, we've yeah. got, we, because I'm retiring as being an advisor, we've got, we now have the capacity to bring on more per year. I would, I would do no more than four every quarter rolling on a rolling basis so you'd have four rolling out but that means that if it's a if it's a four to five year cycle so yeah right? yeah in the so you bring in, you're only really bringing on one you have one exit every year and you bring on one new one every year so essentially one new project every year no more i'm i'm going to bring on because we're in a, we're growing now okay so we're actually um the numbers of what we're doing now is that i would i would bring on at least 10 in the next 12 months. Okay, gotcha. Start 10. And so then I'm obviously managing those 10. But if we were bringing on 10 a year, that's the numbers that we're talking about now. Okay, perfect. So I'm an experienced advisor. You're going to set up, help me set up the business. You give me the brand new website. Presumably there's some work where we sit down and we nut out who my niche is. Actually, how do you know that's the, the advisor? The advisor already knows, right? So my question is, tell me about your favorite client. And we can talk about that. Tell me about what you're really good at. And we understand that. Like the advisor already knows where, they, where their core skills are. That's interesting. Or we do the other one and do the flip side and go, tell me about the client that you should have sacked. And then that we'll talk about that. And, and it may not be. So for absolute wealth advisors, and, you know, one of the things for us is um, engaged delegators. Doesn't, doesn't matter how old they are in that context, but it's the personality of the niche that we want to target is that people will, that are engaged in the process, they'll attend meetings, they'll talk to us, they'll reply to emails within a timely fashion, but they'll let us do it. And so that's a, that's a niche of a personality type that we will work with. What do you think of the, are the things that when you bring a practice on board, what are the you know two to three things that for you shift the dial most, either for them as individuals or as a business that you absolutely have to get in, get in place and on board? So the biggest one that we have that, that I now believe in is actually having a, a virtual assistant in this virtual world anyway, um, but having someone with you on day one. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Positioning. First and foremost, you're positioning yourself as the advisor in this small organizational chart that you have on day one is that you're not, um, no one's making coffee these days, but you're not doing the jobs that you shouldn't be doing. And so I have the message of start with the end in mind and absolutely in the financials of what we build, we build the space to have a person on day one. Yeah. So therefore, 
you're not doing the jobs that you should, shouldn't be doing and you can spend more time on the things that you should be doing. Man, that is so good. And every like, if you think about notionally, you go, well, I haven't generated any revenue yet. I haven't done this and that. We've got solutions for that in terms of fi- helping to finance the businesses. However, you, you'll have so much more time to go and get those extra clients because you've got an assistant helping you. You can't do the marketing and, and basically make the coffee at the same time. You can't. And so our learning, our learning and leverage is absolutely that we help do that. But your staff member will sit in the same office with with actually that work work across the wealth network people. We've now there's now about fifteen people that work in an office in Cebu that work for different businesses of the wealth network. And so not only are you having someone start on day one, they go and talk to other people that know the wealth network's processes to come up to speed. So. so- yeah, the fear about having a VA is like, oh, I've got to teach them everything. No. Well, guess what? We have an insurance specialist. So if you need insurance quotes done, your VA will talk to Katie, who's another uh, in our team, to train you on to train them on doing insurance quotes. I, I, t- I take it far as say, if you're scared of having to train a VA, you shouldn't be growing your business at all because that's what growing a business is, having to tra- teach people the way that you want things done Correct. and document it in such a way. You know, you, if, if not, it's a lifestyle business. And I, yep. yeah, I think you've got, you've got challenges there of its own. And it, so get a VA first, position yourself correctly. In other words, don't do shitty low-value tasks. Anything else that you, you, know, you really insist upon? Well, the other thing is being focused on process. Um, so the two things like the having your having your what we call a healthy ecosystem of people around you is really important. So that's everyone from your, the BDMs that you might work with to your to your bookkeeper to your licensee or your coach, etc. Is having that team around you, but having a really strict process on how they all communicate and work together. Yeah. So, you know, the system for designing systems and process, everything that, it, that is needed in the business. And my regret in terms of starting 12 years ago is I didn't start processes um, until like five years ago. And we now have, we have the thing called the Away Way. So Absolute Wealth Advisors Way. Um, it doesn't exactly spell like that, but we call it the Away Way. I've done a whole podcast with, with XY advisor on it, but it absolutely revolutionized the way that we thought about the business and actually executed work. Um, and so we start with processes in our business from day one. The masterclass that I did yesterday in terms of the, the advisors that are coming through that now, I'm getting them to write their some of their processes before they've ever made the decision to start their own business. Mm. I want to push that. I like there's a Chinese proverb that says the best time to plant trees 20 years ago. Mm. Second best time is now. The yeah. best time to start mapping your processes is literally start the process when you open the door. But if not, start, start today and, and mm. start doing yeah. it. Um, similar sort of thing. We have a rule in our business that if it looks like we're going to do this more than three times, it needs, yeah. to, be, it needs to be mapped out. And I think, I don't know what your view on this is, if you haven't sat down and had to either dictate or sketch or just write out how this is supposed to work, 
there's a good chance you actually haven't thought through the nuts and bolts of how it's supposed to work. Because as soon as you do that, mm. and you have to look at it, you have to sketch it out, you start to realize where there may be opportunities, efficiencies, or maybe it's just not going to oh, work. Absolutely. Most of the time we fire, most of the time we're firefighting, either a new inquiry or a client problem comes in. Mm. And if there's no process on how to solve it, then um, you know, we, we, you're, you're solving the problem live. And if you're not then documenting it, it's, it's lost effort, I suppose, is a good way of thinking about it. Completely. Recently bought two tools in AppSumo. One was called Malcolm, which is a really interesting, frequently asked, yeah, great name. And the other one I bought three or four years ago was Talify. Mm. Bought it for nothing. And it's, it's basically, it's one of those ones I'm mothballed, and that's been incredibly useful, especially now. The linkages it's got and the webhooks it can do, it's, it's literally creating draft emails in my inbox, which is exactly what you want. But nice. couldn't do it unless you got it documented. Let's, um, you mentioned in there, Dean, that there are certain things that you shouldn't be doing from day one, that you should hand over to your VA. Can we do a hit list? If you're an advisor and you're listening to this and you are actually doing this stuff in your, in your business on a daily or weekly basis, you should stop. Oh, yeah. And some of these, you, so the, the best one, like you shouldn't have email. Yeah, email. I agree. So, so Homes at Wealth Network exists. The email doesn't go to me. It goes to a centralized box. Dean.homes at Absolute doesn't exist. It goes to a centralized box. Yep. You can't manage your own email. Nope. My, my favorite, the story that I tell about it, and it, it just, it does light bulb sometimes, is that, Back in the day when you had to post a letter, it the person that looked at it first was the male boy or girl. Yeah. Then it went to the department and it was read by the lowest person in the tree of that department. And then it might have went to the CEO's office and was read by the CEO's assistant. And then maybe the CEO read it. Okay. But with email, right now, first name, dot last name, it's CBA, QBE, origin, whatever it is, you can email the CEO. And so the communication is flipped the exactly the wrong way. And that's why we have to get rid of email is that emails need to be triaged from the bottom up and therefore we only read the top ones. So that's created a lot of time, efficiency, and you've been able to do that. So that's a really good thing from day one. Is it John Paul Zoria? He's the guy who's whole Patron. He, he founded it. He was sleeping in the back of his car. Yeah. He sold, I think, 52 billion. He does not have a laptop. He doesn't have a phone. He doesn't have an iPad. And he was asked, why not? He said, because if I did, I would be inundated with emails and I'd get nothing done. Yeah. And I, There's and a Elon Musk story about that, that he just, all he does all day is walk around and have six-minute meetings. Like, yeah. he just goes in and solves a problem and then moves on. So, what, yeah. What's another thing that, you know, you, you would suggest that everybody hands over or finds someone else to do? Well, we don't, like, booking, booking meetings, collecting information. Yeah. Following, following up the whole admin process of implementing advice. Following up, yep. Um, you don't need to do, like, Carl manages the HubSpot process. He's learned HubSpot and he deals with that marketing side of it. So you, don't need to do video. you don't need to do anything after you've recorded a video. Yep. You shouldn't be writing file notes anymore. They should yep. be digital. digital. Even if it's on the iPad, you can then record it and, and store it. So the point of... Why we why we keep saying now that the time is now, Stuart, in this context of the entrepreneurial revolution, is that the revolution is part tech and part time. So every everything that you want to do, you go. Well, is there an app for it? 
and most probably there is an app for it. And you've got to watch out that you don't get app fatigue in terms of how you build your ecosystem. So that's a lesson. And Stuart's probably, he's got AppSumo. So you've, you've tested thousands of different things to come up with what you're at today. And we've got a technology principle, but we've got some core things as well. Nothing is that uh, revolutionary about what we do, but we keep it really tight. But there's always a tech solution. I always say to myself, I found something, does Microsoft do it? Because we keep that ecosystem very tight from a security perspective. Um, But you've got to be saying, can my VA do it or can technology do it? I'm going to be doing the drop-in a bit later. I'm going to be running through uh, a framework called the Tech Map, which I think we may have done before. Um, but it's interesting. I, I wrote a blog, and it's it's lined up in our marketing thing. And I've seen recently a few people. This isn't having a crack at any other consultants, but they'll they'll start getting on a podcast or they'll pop up an article, which is like ten apps advisors need to know about, or fifteen or twenty apps or whatever. Here's and then the problem that really, and I used to do it, so I got to put my hand up and say, you know, I'm part of the problem or was part of the problem. The problem is if you get to a situation where all you're looking for is an app for an app for that, there's not an app that will take charge of your time or manage yourself or say what you will and won't do. They'll yeah. only take what you do and make it possibly better, possibly easier, faster. And I think the challenge is if you're going out and looking for, have I got an app for that, have I got an app for that, you're starting from the wrong place. You've got to start from what am I trying to achieve? Because uh, when you know what you want to achieve and you know that it's going to make things better, easier, or faster, then it makes sense to plug in an app. But if you're just going out and grabbing apps, and trust me, I've done it. If you're just going out and play, you are going to create a, a situation that is ultimately is going to get out of control. It's going to be less efficient than it is, and you're going to wonder what the hell your processes are supposed to do. Yeah. Anyway, off. I'm going to get off my soapbox now. Yeah, um, mate, this has been incredibly useful. Um, let's turn to sort of where you're at now because. We, did, we haven't even touched upon uh, uh, Jessica and um, uh, Glenn. Glenn? Yeah. Yeah, Glenn. Yep. Yeah. yeah. A bit of a blank there. Um, but where, where are you going with this? I mean, what's the, what's the next step? So the interesting step that I'm doing is that I, I am essentially loosely retiring uh, as being an advisor. And so that's been an interesting journey uh, as well in terms of talking to my clients about it and then talking to the business about it as well and saying, I need to go, I need the time and energy to go and build this project 100%. So 30 June's very soon, and that's my line in the sand that 1 July, I'll still have my license, but I won't be taking on new clients in absolute. I won't be servicing the business in absolute. I'm dedicating the next 12 months to building the wealth network. Um, And in that context, we always love to to build build the bicycle while we're riding it in the context that we're, we're taking on firms as now. So we're, start, we're ready to start bringing on firms into this business as well as leveraging it so that we can take on more firms over the next few years. Um, and the, and I dedicate, you know, I'm dedicating my, my time and, and I have two staff that work for me as well. We're dedicating to grow, grow and support more advisors to start their own practices, to take that leap and, and, say that they're an entrepreneur and actually deliver on that, that they can build successful businesses. And my this whole thing about building a successful business is I'm not in the market to help you recreate your job. And so a lot of there's a there's a bucket of advisors generally that are that are self-employed, but really they're just earning an income that's similar to an employee, but they have no time annual leave or support or flexibility. And yeah. so 
I'm focused on building advice practices that you don't have to work six days a week and 80 hours a week to earn the same money that you're earning as an employee. So that we have systems, processes and scale with staff so that you can have your time off as well. So if somebody's listening to this, and I guess there's two possibilities here. Either the listener's going, I am really interested in um, potentially finding out whether this is the right thing for me. Or alternatively, yeah. they're listening to this and they like what you're doing and they know of people who meet that, meet that profile or they'd like to sort of help um, progress what it is. What can they do next? So we, we do a couple of different things to get people um, interested in, in the process and understanding what we do. So we have... We have webinars that I run on um, on like a fortnightly basis um, to jump in and just learn a little bit about why it's a great time. So that's my soapbox, Stuart, of, of why it's the best time in the last 20 years to start your own business, why I believe that we can, we can do it now compared to before and we don't need the support of large corporates. So that's like my soapbox to go, oh, if I'm a bit unsure, come along to one of those and my job is to really inspire you to go, yes, I want to take the leap. And where do, where do, they, where do, where do I find out about this? Go to our website, which is wealthnetwork.net.au. Um, the other thing that I run, once, you, once you're interested but not sure on the entire process or what's involved in running your own advice practice is that I run a masterclass, which is a six-week uh, le- lesson series essentially that you can, that you can register for. And during that process, what we do is we run across sort of six fundamentals of running your business, so vision and value, sales and marketing, um, the healthy building the healthy ecosystem, num- setting up your numbers, setting up your advice process and bringing it all together as a plan. So the masterclass is almost like a set and forget module that if you just wanted to, if you're in your own business today but wanted a refresher on how all the elements might come together, I think we will do the masterclass and just learn from that, okay? And then doing the masterclass also gets me to know all the people that are going through and some of those will say, hey, Dean, I'm interested in joining the Wealth Network in the partnership program that we we build. Okay, cool. So you you can register for things on the website. If you're just interested in hearing more, there's a there's like a general registration where I send information out. So I okay. send out your uh, today's thing to my network, uh, and I just I'm always producing interesting content um, uh, on my soapbox about stuff. And so you can just join that, and if you like what I'm doing, then you'll keep listening. Otherwise, there's a great big unsubscribe button <laughs> at, the moment, at the bottom, and that's yeah. also okay. Yeah, yeah. Why is it called a soapbox? I've always wondered. I don't know. I don't know. I, yeah. I mean, if the the furthest back I know that it exists is that in, in Hyde Park in London. Yeah, the speaker's corner. Right, the stand on the on. I think it's milk crates. Maybe it used to be a soapbox. Maybe. Um, maybe maybe something about maybe someone on the hall actually knows why and they can tell us. But Just yeah, that's the, that's the history. Person sitting there going, I can't stand on that. That's a that's a you know uh, that's not a soapbox. It's a yeah. or whatever. It's, I think for me the the thing which I really connected with was this idea that. Don't focus on getting a power planner. Don't focus on getting a financial planning admin. What you need is you need a VA, someone who is skilled at basically freeing up you from just a general admin staff. That was really powerful. But I think the other thing which um, I learned today 
which is, and I maybe knew it, but I didn't realize it was that strong, which was uh, you, your, your thing is about working with people who are, who are going for the niche. Uh, when you step back and look at it, it's kind of obvious, but yeah, no, it was incredibly useful. EOS is something I, I'll, uh, I've also found incredibly um, powerful as well. Yeah. Now, um, any final thoughts on, on where the industry's headed or uh, any sort of thing you'd like to uh, share with people or, or encourage people to do next? Yeah, look, um, the, the biggest thing that's probably happened this week is just our friends at the FPA in relation to their vision of licensing of advisors. Definitely doesn't change what we do because we, I think we create a lot of value in a in much, much bigger way than, than what providing a license would. Mm. Um, so I, I'm very happy in terms of what, what might happen in terms of the licensees um, space in terms of what we're doing, we're doing here to help advisors. Um, and I just, I want to encourage everyone that is an employee. Um, and Stuart can attest to this as a, as a self having the self employed lifestyle as well is that you can enjoy it. You do have the flexibility, and you do start to after a year of hard work. Don't get me wrong, have some of that space in your in your day or life to enjoy it. Um, and so after this call, I walk down the road and I get my daughter and we hang out and we'll have lunch and I'll put it down to sleep and. The ability to to do that is really important to to me, and to yeah. create that flexibility. And that's the businesses that I want to help advisors create. They're still going to they're still going to be cracking businesses inside revenue wise as well. But at, but at the at the other end of the spectrum, you're not just an employee that's in their own business. I totally agree. I like the entrepreneurial lifestyle can be one of two things. It can be something that frees you and empowers you as long. As it can also be something that traps you, but I think as one thing I've learned from, from working with you, Dean, is you have a lot of structure and you're very deliberate about the way you do things, and that's obvious in the way you've thought this through as well. So, mate, this has been incredibly insightful. Uh, Matthew says, Google is a soapbox, is a raised platform, which one stands to make an impromptu speech. The term originates from the days when speakers would elevate themselves by standing on a wooden crate originally used for the shipment of soap. It's just the thing I'm wondering is why does it have to be soap? Why is it not a banana box or anyway? Or a, or a I wine? Do, I do thank, thank Matthew. Uh, Appreciate it. Know what it is. Russell, it is absolutely the time for a one person, one advisor business. So, and I do think it's all linked to having a partner. So in the context, like AMP is getting rid of one advice practices, right? They see it as a risk. And that's because they're not, they're not helping that advisor run the business. Mm. They're not in the business seeing all the problems that are going on, hoping we can solve them, et cetera. And so we are happy with one advisor practices to start and help them grow. But that is even more important in terms of systems, processes, and VAs and, and people helping you in your business so that you're not the one-man advisor doing everything. Where did the one-man band come from? That's the other one. But the one-man band is in the context of one advisor is absolutely true, but you will have people and support around you, this healthy ecosystem that I talk about, to help you run your business. That's, it's interesting because if you talk about a one-man band, it's very different to think about. It's just one person running a business too. There's one person who is the advisor and they're supported by a core team. And I think yeah. if anything has happened over the last 15 years, that's been hugely beneficial. Well, there's been a lot that's happened. The one of the benefits is as a small business, as an individual you know, practitioner, you can now mobilize the resources that large organizations yeah. were previously only able to. Yeah, and think, think about 
I, I like to look at other specialists in terms of how they have structured themselves. And so if you go see a surgeon, a specialist surgeon, he's the only guy that operates, but he has he they he or she can have three or four staff, right? Mm. Just in the business of seeing you. And and that's before you've even got into the hospital context. But yeah. the he he or she doesn't waste their time on filling out the file note or organizing the appointment or making charging you the money. And that's what I learned from um, doctors, especially in terms of their time allocation to their specialty. That's true. It's been incredible. Uh, Elizabeth also said the AI assistant really frees up term. Yeah, and I know you've really nailed this as well. Elizabeth's one of those people who uh, she'll do it and then ask questions why later on, which is sometimes a really better way to do yeah. it than to just kind of unpack it. Yeah. But, um, so if you want a VA, come and see me. I can help with that side of it as well to get that started. Who are you? Can I, did you want to share with me who you're using these days? or? Yeah, for a firm called uh, VA, VA Platinum. Okay, gotcha. Um, what, I, what I say about VA Platinum and Brian who runs that is that he cares about people. So the, we call them virtual assistants, but they're just they're just your staff. And Brian gets it from that perspective, and when you have to get it from that perspective as well, is you're just hiring a team member that's in a different time zone. Oh, god, yeah. But they do it. They they are they breathe, eat, and have public holidays in Cebu today. It's 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 uh, it's the Philippine National Independence Day today. So you know you've got to know and understand where your team is, but they're your team. I think if you're able to do it as well, you realize that the best people are not the ones who live within five kilometers or 10 kilometers of your office. Yeah. They're the people who you can connect with all over the world. And I'm, I've been incredibly blessed. Jen's on the call. But uh, yeah, there's just some great people. And yeah, uh, he's on the call. So there you go. Yeah, hey, listen, <laughs> there we go. Guys, um, this has been useful. This has been incredibly powerful. Thank you so much, Dean. And uh, really looking forward to what the, the next few years hold. Now, that's going to be good. Um, yeah. Ross's question, generalists versus specialists. I think, well, it's sort of on my focus, Ross, it's, it's the outcome is you become more of a specialist in the context of the clients that you want to target or the niche. So if you go, well, I want to look after left-handed vets, then that is, a, that is a, not a generalist or specialist in terms of financial advice. But naturally, you become more of a specialist in particular advice categories or structuring for those that target market. Um, so, but I think the the generalist is definitely not uh, dead from an advice perspective because if you target, like I said earlier, engaged delegators, you might have a variety of different clients that you serve, and that's okay because then the niche is a personality niche which could be considered even more important than an occupation niche yeah um yeah absolutely can i answer it it's interesting there's a lot of rubbish spoken about niching the origin of niching comes from the 1950s in the advertising game where a business would come to them and say we want to sell soap and they go how much advertising money you got 50 grand well we can't target everybody so Mm -hmm. who's the market that we're going to spend the money on and we're going to advertise to that market and they're going to be buying the product that's what niching it's not about building a business to only work with a certain people you know building soap that's just for left-handed vets that's not Mm -hmm. going to work and i think the point that that i think people miss and i think sometimes we just come at this from a from a solution perspective 
uh, because that's that's what our industry is built on. There's three different ways that you can specialize. You can specialize in your market, which is what ten people just tend to focus on. You know, I'm going to work with this kind of person. You can specialize in a mindset. The kind of people I work with think this way. Uh, I think you're probably um, your engaged validators. That's a mindset. Yeah. You can work on a message. Now, uh, in other words, you put something out that is so targeted, so clear, and it attracts certain people. Clear as that today, a good example of that is um, ESG investing. Aussie home loans. Yeah. The message is if you hate the banks, come to us, and they caught everybody. Now, yeah. for me, if you want to talk about the most powerful is when you get the congruence of those three things. Apple is a classic example. Their market, creatives. Their mindset is we're going to change the world. The message, do things differently. And they got that sort of congruence. So I guess the, for me, the conversation about specialists versus generalists is the easiest way to grow a business and get your message and connect the most cost-effective and simplest way is to focus on who you want to talk to. Later on, when you kind of reach that out of the, uh, you know, out of the when you get big, then you, you have to do this thing called crossing the chasm, which is where you've got to go from specialization to generalization. Uh, which is where you go from selling your products just to creatives to everybody. But right here and now, I think the the question is is not whether you your business should be able to do everything. It's about what's the most effective way of you being able to deliver something cost effectively to a market who are willing to pay for it in a profitable way, and you're going to enjoy it. And that's for me. There's there's no other way of looking at this about then. My focus has to be specialization in some shape or form. I'm going to get off the soapbox, but that's. Yeah, I just wanted to reset that because sometimes yeah. people think it's about only doing certain things and it's not. I'm with you. Yeah, mic drop. Sure. Thanks, Ross. We're out. That's. <laughs> I, I still think that there's a requirement that we know lots, that we are still the general practitioners of the finance world. Um, gen, I would say broadly is still really important. There's, there's no one else that takes that role, that role in the professional space. I agree. Dean, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I'll catch up with you soon. Brilliant. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye-bye. So there you have it, another great Finnovator with uh, Dean Holmes of The Wealth Network. I hope you took something from it. Uh, I took a bunch of things from it that I didn't realize previously. I, for a start, I'd only really uh, got a high-level understanding of how important niching uh, was the model that uh, Dean was rolling out and... Uh, Anybody who has spoken to me about niching would know I see it as being something that is just fundamental success. It's such an easier way to grow a business, but it's one of those things I get pushed back on. Uh, yeah, I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, we've got more sessions coming down the pike. As I asked at the beginning, if you like the Finnovator, if you enjoy it, and you can intend to continue listening and you'd like to help us kind of get the word out, uh, the best way you can do that is by jumping into uh, iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and jump in there and leave a, not just a, a, a stars review, but put some comments in there about what you like and what you don't. And that would be really, really appreciative. Final thing, uh, I run most Fridays a live online virtual office space event called Connect Space. Uh, you can find out all about it by going to our website, aldere.com.au. Uh, forward slash upcoming dash events and you will find uh, an event like a uh, practice factory which we run, we often run uh, these innovators as live kind of uh, webinar events as well as a bunch of other stuff that's coming up uh, if you would like an introduction to what I do outside of just this podcast if you want to understand a little bit more about the you know 300 or so businesses I've worked with over the past five years the, the nine strategic areas I work on and a bit about the coaching uh, and the programs I run Go and check it out, and I'd love to see you on one of our late, uh, next events. Other than that, I hope you've got a good week planned. I hope, you, uh, I hope you're having success 
and happiness and health. And I look forward to seeing you on the next episode of The Finn Take care and be good.